0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, again written by Solomon. And he proposes a question in verse 10, and then through verse 31, he gives us a very detailed description of just what a virtuous wife is. But he poses it in the form of a question in verse 10 Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all all the days of her life. And she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises whilst yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it, and from her profits she'll plant a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, yes. She reaches out her hands to the needy and she's not afraid of snow for her household for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. And thus we end the book of Proverbs. Going back to verse 10, the question that is um, proposed is who can find a virtuous wife? In the entire Bible, there is only one woman who is actually called a virtuous woman. Now, we all know that there are many virtuous gals throughout the scriptures, but they're not mentioned. And there's only one place where a gal is actually called a virtuous woman. And um, in verse 16, one of the uh, uh, places that we're going to begin with this morning is taking you, so I'm going to give it away right now who that person is. Let's turn turn to the book of Ruth. And our study this morning is these four chapters. But the plan of salvation and redemption is intertwined in the story. And before we can get to the application I want us to once again uh, revisit this book where Ruth is the only woman in the Bible who is called a virtuous woman. Let me give you a little bit of the background before we dive in. The book of Ruth was written during the time of the judges. It was an up and down period of time. Uh, they, They would do Evil and the Lord would have to raise up a judge and bring order. And there was this 360-year cycle that, that they went through. But even though primarily they weren't doing very well with the Lord, there was this community in um, Bethlehem that did walk with the Lord. And uh, the book of Ruth was before they asked for a king They asked for a king, and the Lord gave him Saul. And then, then of course, came David. David is going to be a part of our story this morning. The setting is in Israel, one of my favorite places on the planet. The shepherd's fields is where Boaz's um, harvest was taking place. But it's also the place where King David was tending the sheep when Samuel came and was looking for the next king of Israel. In the very same place is where the angels appeared and spoke to the shepherds and declared that the Messiah, Jesus, had come. It all happened in the same fields. And when we go there, it's sort of overwhelming because you're looking back over 3,000 years of time. And um, we have this love story unfold for us that turns into where David lived, which a little bit later, um, uh, 2,000 years later, in the very same field, the shepherds received the announcement from heaven that the Messiah had come. As we look at chapter one, um, we find that Bethlehem had gone through a famine. And we read that it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, his name is Elimelech, had to leave. So Elimelech takes his wife, Naomi, we read. They had two sons, Malian and Chilion. And they leave Bethlehem of Judah, and they go to the land of Moab, And they're there for 10 years. During that 10-year period of time, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, he dies. And her two sons married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But both of these two sons, they die. So she's having a hard time. She loses her husband. She loses her two sons. And... um, She says it's time to go home. We read in verse, I think it's verse 6, that she had heard that the famine was over and um, she had made the decision to return home. Uh, So let's read verse 6. She arose with her daughters-in-law that they might return from the country of, of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and gave them bread. The famine was over. So she's going home. And she encourages both the gals to stay in Moab. And they're still young. They can still remarry if if they wanted to. And um, the one, Orpah, um, she does. She stays behind. But when it came to Ruth, Ruth was knitted in her love for Naomi to such a degree that Naomi could not talk her into staying. And so let's pick it up in verse 16. We've used these verses at many a wedding ceremony. <clears throat> and here we have Ruth's choice to remain with Naomi. But Ruth said in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to be in more also of anything but death parts you and me. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. What I want to point out in this, Statement by Ruth Is she was converting She knew that Naomi was from Israel She was Jewish And here she says Your God is going to be my God From this day forward And um, they return And so picking it up in verse 18 We have um, this this homecoming And Everybody's excited because they haven't seen Naomi for it's been 10 years now. And here comes Naomi. They don't see Elimelech, they don't see the two sons. They, they just see this Moabite woman, woman who is, is with her, and they said, "Welcome home, Naomi, in verse 19. But she says, "Don't call me that, because it means pleasant. Do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara." Now Mara means bitterness. And uh, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Uh, She says, I went out full, I had my husband, I had my two sons, but I'm coming back empty. And so don't call me pleasant because I'm not, but call me Mara because I'm bitter. And uh, she just sort of settles in, and um, that's sort of the end of uh, chapter one. Now in chapter two, Uh, They have no means. They have no um, sons to do the farming or provide for the food. She has no husband. So what happens, there was a law that it was harvest time when they came back. And one of the laws in the Old Testament is the law of gleaning. Now, if you're taking notes, you don't have to turn to this one. We're going to go back to Leviticus in a little bit. But what happens is um, Ruth asked if she could go and glean in the fields. Now, many people today, because of our technology, are somewhat familiar with the terminology of gleaning. But it was actually part of the law that the Lord gave to Moses. It wasn't just 10 commandments. It was over 300. And here's one of them, Leviticus 19, verse 9. It was sort of the welfare program that God established for poor people. In verse nine of Leviticus 19, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of the field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of the harvest, and thou shalt not even glean the vineyard. Okay, we've gone from the wheat field now to, to the vineyards, one of the grapes are grown. Neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard, and thou shalt leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So what we have in verses 1 through 7 is Naomi showing up in the field of Boaz, and it's her first day there. And we read... um, after getting permission from Naomi, verse 3 says, And she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the family of Limelech. Now here's the first time we find out that there's relation, blood, a blood connection between Naomi and Boaz. It's his field. He's a very wealthy man. And we read in verse four, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So you leave Bethlehem, and you go—you would be going towards Jerusalem, which would be to the uh, north. And uh, that's where the shepherds' fields are. The amazing thing is, after three thousand years, there's no buildings allowed down there. There's still the shepherds' fields. I'm sure the trees have come and gone, but the landscape is is basically the same. And so here. Here's the owner of the field. He's going to go out and see how the crop is coming in. Now, how would you like to go to the office or wherever you go to the work? And the boss shows up, and the first thing he says is, the Lord be with you. How would you like to have your boss say that to you in the morning? The Lord be with you. (laughs) Uh, And they answered back, the Lord bless you. That'd be a great way to start your day. Uh, Then Boaz said to a servant who was in charge of the reaper, so here's the foreman, whose young woman is this? Who's, who's, the, who's the new gal that's gleaning? And so the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, well, it's a it's young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from Moab. And she said, please let me, me glean after the reapers among the sheaves. And so she came and continued from morning until now. She did take a little break in the house during the heat of the day. So from verses... Um, Chapter two, verses one through seven, we have Boaz actually seeing uh, Ruth for the first time. Now, it's gonna be implied a little bit later that there was quite an age difference, maybe as much as 20 years between Boaz and Ruth. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But from the get-go, I'm reading a little bit between the lines here. Um, He notices Ruth. Uh, I think probably she was an attractive gal. And we're going to find out she's a virtuous gal. Um, So he talks to her. um, You will listen to me, my daughter, verse 8. Will you not? I, I don't want you to go and glean in another field, nor go from here, but I want you to stay close by my young women and let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you. And uh, when you are thirsty, you go to the vessel and drink from what the young men have drawn. And now we get a little glimpse into her personality and her gratefulness to this guy named Boaz. She's just grateful, and so she falls on her face, bows down to the ground, and she says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? I'm, I'm a Gentile. I'm, I'm, I'm a Moabitess. But Boaz answered and said to her, it's been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I mean, it was a small town. Naomi's back. Who's the gal with Naomi? And um, basically the word got out that the, they, were, they loved each other, Naomi and Ruth, and she was actually taking care of of, of Naomi. And um, I've, I've heard the reports. I heard about you. I haven't met you yet. And so I want to make sure that you're protected. I've told the guys, hands off. And I want you to hang and don't go in anybody else's field. And um, you, you just stick around and stay in mine. And she says in verse 12, Will the Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, notice under whose wings you have come for." for refuge and then she said let me find favor in your sight my lord for you have comforted me. You've spoken kindly to your maidservant though I'm not like one of your maidservants. I'm not Jewish, I'm I'm a Moabitess. And now Moa said to her at mealtime come here and eat the bread and dip the piece of bread in the vinegar and so she ate. Uh, She hadn't had means for a meal and so Boaz is um, actually <laughs> taking her out for lunch, I suppose you'd say. And um, she ate and was satisfied. And, uh, and she kept some back. So she ate till she was full. but in the back of her mind, she knows that Naomi doesn't have any supper. And the reason she's keeping it back is she's gonna give it to her mother-in-law a little bit later. Now, the rest of chapter two from uh, 17 um, on is they realize that there's a relationship bloodline wise. And so Ruth gleans in the field until evening and she beat out what she had. And it was about an ephah and she took it and and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and so she brought it out and gave it to her. What she had kept back after she had eaten and was satisfied, so she was given some lunch that she, to um, Naomi, and her mother-in-law said to her, "Where have you gleaned today? You know, you expect to get the corners of the field, but she came back as if she was a regular employee, and she came back, and she was surprised. Where did you get all this? Where did you work? And blessed be the one who took notice of you. So." Ruth spills the beans, and she says, well, I worked in this field. The guy was really a nice guy to me. He took care of me. He bought me lunch, and his name is Boaz. And all of a sudden, the lights go on for Naomi, and um, the wheels begin to spin in her head. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead, And Naomi said to her, the man is a relative of ours, one of our near kinsmen. And then Ruth the Moabite said, he also said to me, he wants me to just stay in his fields. And um, he wants me to stay there until the harvest is all done and over with. And Naomi begins to perceive that there's an affection From Boaz towards Ruth Because he wants her to remain in his field only And she also told him uh, The other young guys hands off you leave her alone And so Naomi says you know it's good my daughter That you go out with this young woman That the people do not meet you in other fields So she stayed close by the young woman Of Boaz and she stayed there until the harvest The wheat harvest was over And she lived with her mother-in-law And so we come to the end of chapter two. Now, in the back of Naomi's mind, she is now sort of in matchmaker, if you're Jewish, you would say yentle mode, where she wants to see these two get together. And so really what we have here in chapter three is, um, let's pick it up in verse one. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, not my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? You know, I might die in a couple years. What are you going to do then? And Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our kinsman? In other words, he's our relative. Matter of fact, he is uh, winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So basically, the routine and the ritual, uh, is you had this harvest party, um, we celebrate it differently today in Appleton, we, Oktoberfest, uh, we bring out old cars and we lie in College Avenue with them. Well, in these days, during the time of judges, what they would do is they would have a great big feast And now uh, the instructions are being given when the party's over in verse three. Therefore, I want you to wash yourself. I want you to anoint yourself. I want you to put on your best clothing, and I want you to go down to the threshing floor, but I don't want anybody to see it quite yet. Uh, Wait for the men until they have finished eating. The party's over and drinking, And then it will be what they would do to protect their harvest. They would actually sleep next to uh, what they've brought in as far as their crop. And it will be when he lies down that you will notice the place where he lies and you will go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. So this this is all matchmaking stuff here, what's going on. And she actually comes out Shall I not look out for you? Should I look out for your future, for your security? And she begins to scheme. And Ruth is all for it, because in verse 6, she says, 5, I will do it. She said to her, all that you have said, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed. Now, after Boaz had eaten and and, uh, drunk... His heart was cheerful, and they were celebrating the uh, um, end of harvest. He went to lay down and uh, went to sleep, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down, and he doesn't know it. He's fast asleep, but Ruth has <laughs> come up, uncovered his feet, and put the blanket over herself, and about midnight, something woke him up. I think an angel kicked him in the side or something. But uh, He turned himself, and here's a woman laying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she said, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. And what you're about to read next is a proposal. She says, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a near kinsman. Now, In order to understand what just took place, I need you to turn to the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. This is part of the law. And what Ruth just did was put in the law for the sake of the poor, number one, that they would never lose the land that they inherited being a child of Israel. There were the 12 tribes, All of them but the Levites were given portions of land. And if you were in Judah, in this case, Bethlehem, you had boundaries, you had borders. Every family had their lot of land. But what if you got in debt and you had to sell the land? Well, there was a law for that. Leviticus 25, picking it up in verse 23. The land shall not be sold perpetually for the land is mine. I would sure like to get sidetracked here and talk about the UN and talk about what's happening in the Middle East, talking about dividing the land, how uh, they consider it uh, Palestinian occupation. Do you know that there's no such thing as a Palestinian? There's never ever been a Palestinian. A Palestinian has never existed, period. There's never been a land of Palestine. That was given by one of the Roman emperors. It's uh, a play on words from the Philistines. It was, it was a, a slap across the face to, to rename it from Israel to Palestine. But there is no Palestinians. You guys do your own homework on this. And to say that uh, the land is occupied, no, the land belongs to the Lord, period. Somebody want to give me a name on that? It will never be sold perpetually. For the land is whose? The land is mine, it belongs to the Lord. And you are strangers and sojourners. I like to say we're pilgrims and strangers. We're just passing through. You may have property, you may own things, but who really owns it, right? We're stewards. The Lord has given us maybe children or properties or possessions. Don't think for a second they belong to you. You are stewards, and the Lord will have you give an account someday of your stewardship, The land is mine. You're strangers. You're just passing through. And all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brother becomes poor, well, in this case, it's Elimelech and Naomi, and have sold some of the possession, and if his kinsman redeemer, now the the Hebrew word here is goel, G-O-E-L, comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. So evidently what happened when they left, the land was either sold and it needed to be redeemed by the goel or a near kinsman. A kinsman redeemer is actually the word here. It had to be blood, had to be part of the family. The reason is so then he may be redeemed Or if the man comes and has no one to redeem it, he himself becomes able to redeem it. Let him count the years since the sale and restore the balance to the man whom it was sold that he may return to his possession. Um, So the land, even if you could never repay it, in verse 29 says, when the year of Jubilee came, at seven sevens, 49 Sabbaths, when the 50th year came, no matter what you owed, it went back to the original owner. It was called the the, the, the celebration of the jubilee, verse 28. And in the jubilee, it shall be released, and he shall return to his possession. You never lose it if you live long enough to be 50. Now let's go back to our story. And we're in chapter 3, and... Um, we're having um, Ruth say in verse nine, take me under your wing uh, for you are a near kinsman. She realizes, because it's been explained to her, that if a marriage takes place, that Boaz has the right because of of the Levitical law to make the possession again belong to Naomi so that the name in the family doesn't die. And so now Boaz said Blessed are you of the Lord my daughter For you have shown more kindness In the end Than at the beginning And that you do not go after younger men Whether poor or rich I think she was attractive I think she was young And I think she was older Because of what's being implied here I could be wrong But that's what he's saying is You know you could have anybody you want And why do you want me? And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are what? Say it. A virtuous woman. What does the Proverbs tell us? Who can find a virtuous woman? Well, Boaz found one. The Lord brought her right to him. And she did the proposing. (laughs) And now he's willing to act as a goel, as the kinsman redeemer. And the reason is, I know who you are. I know you have a heart. I know you could have stayed back with your own people. You chose not to. And you chose to become a believer in the God of Israel. Your God will be my God. And uh, you have a kind heart. You've, you've taken Naomi, and you're providing for her. I know all about you. You're a virtuous woman. Here's the problem, verse 12. Now, it's true that I am a kinsman redeemer. However, there's a kinsman who's closer in line to the inheritance than myself. He says, I want you to stay here tonight, and in the morning it shall be that I'll perform the duty of the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, for you. Good. Let's do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty So, he sends her home before the sun comes up. He doesn't want anybody to know that she uh, made this proposal. But I'll tell you one thing. Um, Boaz didn't go to sleep the rest of that night. (laughs) He was waiting for the sun to come up. And the way they did business back in those days is they would meet at the city gates when we visit the Tel Dan, the city of Dan in the northern Galilee they uncovered the original gates and actually the original judgment seat where business was done. And so now a transaction has to take place. He wants to fulfill the role of a kinsman redeemer, but he needs witnesses. Today you need to go down to the bank and then to the lien company, and that's how we do business today. Well, that's not how it was done then. What you did then is he sends her home with... um, a lot of extra food for Naomi. He says, verse 17, don't go home empty-handed. Then she, then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. Now this is Naomi talking to Ruth. Um, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Which brings us to the last chapter of chapter 4. And um, he's just waiting for this guy to come passing by, who's closer relative than himself. And all of a sudden, he sees him coming. He's waiting at the gate. I can just see him. And um, my Bible, the New King James, says, "Come here, friend. Sit down." Well, if you have the King James, it's "ho such a one." (laughs) And I got, I got, I got got so tripped up with that name that you would call somebody, "Hey, ho such a one! Come on over here." that I actually named one of my cockatoo's birds One because I thought, now that is a different name. One, come on over here. But it's New King James's friend. He says, sit down. And so he came over and sat down, and, and he lays it all out. He says, you know, the story about Elimelech and Naomi. They had to leave. They had to sell their land. He died. And, um, you know, you and I, Our kinsmen and redeemers, we got got first rights to buy that property, It's ours. Thing is, you're first in line. Do you want it? And he says, you betcha I'll take it. That's a good piece of property that uh, Elimelech had. And he says, oh, by the way, verse five, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from the Ruth, the Moabitess. Hmm, the wife of the dead, so to raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance. And all of a sudden, he has a change in his desire for the property. And the near kinsman says, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. Now, I don't know the reason for this. It could be my wife would kill me if I brought home another wife. <laughs> that might be the reason. It might be, what, I'm marrying a Moabitess? I don't think so. I'm a Jew. That could be the reason. And whatever the reason for him backing down, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. But he backs out. And that's exactly what Boaz is wanting to happen. And I think he knew all he had to drop was the idea that you gotta marry this scale if you want the land. And he says, I can't do it. Um... Uh, but you can, so why don't you? You redeem it for yourself. Now, here's how they signed the, uh, the title to the deed. Now, it was a custom in former times of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a, the attestation in, in Israel. Therefore, the near kinsman said to Boaz, "'Buy it for yourself.' So he took off his sandals. Now, there's 10 elders that are witnessing this. So here's a guy taking off his sandal, instead of shaking hands, takes off his sandal, and everybody's a witness. it's a done deal. Boaz is now the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, and he's redeemed all that was elimelech and he's going to marry Ruth. And Boaz said to the elders, verse 9, and all the people, Your witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, all that was Chilion's and Malon's, from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of man, I've required as my wife to raise up the name of the dead of his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brethren and from on the gates of this place. And your witnesses... And all the people who were at the gate, the elders said, yep, we are, we're witnesses. And then they wanted to give a wedding blessing, so they said, the Lord, make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel or Leah. And uh, they were just blessing them, and everybody in town knew that this thing was signed, sealed, and delivered, and that uh, Boaz had purchased this piece of property. Now, this is where it gets interesting. That's the story. Who can find a virtuous woman, Solomon says, as we conclude the Proverbs? This is the only woman in the Bible who is called a virtuous woman. And as I began to think about it um, this week, it, it leads on that they do marry. So we read in verse 13 that Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went in unto her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the woman said to, to Naomi, well, praise the Lord and bless the Lord who has not left you this day without a near kinsman and many his, and may his name be famous in Israel. Now, this was a prayer. I pray that you guys become famous. Well, guess what? They became very famous. We read in verse 17, and also the the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, this is the son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of King David. But let's read a little bit farther because I want, I want to follow this genealogy. Now this is a ge- genealogy of Perez. He begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot uh, Binadab. Benadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. You're gonna find out in a second who Salmon's wife was, who bore Boaz, and Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Let's go to Matthew chapter one and read the first six verses of the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first six verses, we have three women that are named in the genealogy. And I'm gonna pick it up in verse four where we read back in, in the book of Ruth, the genealogy that Boaz and Ruth had and their descendants, remember Abinadab, begat Nashan, and Nashan begat Solomon. Solomon begat Boaz by who? Rahab. Remember Rahab? She was a gal who hid the two spies. She was a harlot. And uh, she protected the two spies, and she says, remember me when you come and take this city. Well, end of story as far as the, the, the battle of Jericho is concerned, but here we found out she marries uh, a Solomon, and Rahab, therefore, has a son whose name is Boaz. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, That's, there's a love story, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And David the king, he got Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, and asked the question, who can find a virtuous woman? The prayer was, I hope someday you guys are really, really famous. Well, you can't get more famous than being the great, great grandmother of King David. So anyone want to say amen to that? And, um, but the thing is... Um, every New Testament, I like to say, for every New Testament teaching, we have an Old Testament story. Jesus said, search the scriptures, because it's all about me. And even the Old Testament is all about redemption. And um, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, just one parable. And in closing this morning, we're gonna have an old, a New Testament teaching where we find an Old Testament picture. Let me say it again. And I marvel how the Holy Spirit intertwines and the more you get serious about the Bible and the more you study the Bible, you watch these amazing things come together that you would never see unless you simply read through the Bible continually. Pieces of puzzles begin to come together, greater clarification. And so Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he does it in parable form. Verse 44 of Matthew 13 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. Now, there's the teaching, but the book of Ruth is the picture. And here's how the story goes. Jesus is a type of Boaz. Ruth, a Gentile, is a type of the church. Ruth was a Gentile, a Moabite. The church is Gentile, mixed up with other um, Jews that um, are Messianic Jews. Here's, Here's where it gets interesting Boaz was rich, he was the boss. Um, He didn't need another field. He needed it. He had more than what he could ever possibly want. But he bought the field. Well, why did he buy the field? Was he really interested in the field? No, there was this treasure in there called Ruth that went along with the deal. So we find that Boaz's real interest isn't buying another piece of land. His real interest is, I want this gal. And the way to get it is, got to buy the field. I have to be a goel, a kinsman-redeemer. I have to be part of the bloodline in order for this redemption to take place. He bought the field because of the treasure, Ruth, that went along with the deal. And then it was announced before everybody. Now, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who buys a field because of the treasure that's in the field. Here's the creator of the universes, How many billions of galaxies are there out there? How many planets that we're discovering almost on a daily basis are there? Question, does our Lord Jesus Christ need another planet? Answer, no, he's got lots of planets. But he left everything when it says what the kingdom of heaven is really all about is the creator of the universe leaving it all behind. For what purpose? To come and redeem this planet that you are and I are in. Did he need another planet? Absolutely not. Well, what did he find interesting about this planet? It needed redemption. It needed a, a bloodline that could redeem it. For what purpose? For you and for me. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And the one who has everything, left everything, came down, and by his blood... Um, he left all that he had in heaven, and by his blood he redeemed this planet. The treasure is simply for you and me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, and I wanna dwell on the whosoever part here. Remember, before this could happen, it was Ruth that was the one asking for redemption, remember? She says, will you fulfill the law of the kinsman redeemer? She asked her redeemer to redeem her. And so in the same way, this is where it connects together. In order when it, I don't want to give the impression of universalism, is what I'm saying this morning, that God so loved the world that everybody now is saved. No, Ruth had to ask for redemption, and she did. And uh, was Boaz hesitant? Not in the least. He was very much interested in Ruth. And he says, I'm going to do it. And so, um, he has become, Jesus has become our kinsman redeemer. What are the qualifications? The concept of a kinsman redeemer, or a goel, is a very important portrait of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goel must be related by blood to those to be redeemed. We were made in the image of God. He had to be able to pay the price of redemption. Jesus was the only one qualified. He's the only one who never sinned. His blood, the curse of sin was not upon him, but he took it upon him so that you and I could be redeemed. Christ was free from the curse of of the sin, And the word Goel is used 13 times in the book of Ruth. It's a clear picture of the redeeming work that took place on Calvary. So what is the book of Ruth? It's a love story. It's a love story of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ who explains it, and I believe verse 44 is specifically about the book of Ruth, where he is the one. Sometimes... um, Missionaries will use that say you have to give up everything in order to go do the work of the Lord and the church in the field. No, that's not it at all. Um, Jesus is the one and the only one. You know the song we sing, I surrender all, I surrender all. I say, oh, no, you don't, oh, no, you don't. Who is the only one who really surrendered all? Jesus is the only one who surrendered all. He gave it all. Greater love is no man than this, that he lay it all down. Why, just for you, and you and I are the recipient. We're part of the bloodline. We're now inheritors of everything that the Father has. You're going to inherit. We're ambassadors in the meantime. You have been married into a very, very famous family because you are now the bride of Christ, a Gentile, and Ruth was indeed a Gentile. Jesus is our redeemer and our kinsman redeemer, and I know that he lives. Amen, amen. Let's stand and we'll close with the word of prayer. Lord, as we finish the book of Proverbs, it begs the question, who can find a virtuous woman? It also begs the question, who can find a virtuous person on this planet? Unless you yourself would come down and be the redeemer And by your blood cleanse us, making us virtuous and clean and justified in your sight. And for this, Lord, we are eternally grateful for our redemption. We thank you for the pictures and how you tie together the Old and the New Testament. Lord, it just increases our faith. And it shows us in a love story how much you really care for us and love us. So much so that you're willing to give it all up just to purchase our salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.